Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me today to discuss his industry perspectives on African swine fever is Micah Martin, a housing and consumer commodities analyst, as well as a sleeve manager on the Diamond Hill Research Opportunities Fund. Micah has been with the firm since 2014, and prior to that, he was an English teacher in Beijing, China, which provides additional insight into our topic today. Enjoy. Micah, thank you for joining me today. Uh, we're going to talk about the African swine fever, which you and I have talked about many times over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but from what little that I've read on, on the African swine fever, it sounds like something out of uh, the Matt Damon movie Contagion or the Dustin Hoffman movie Outbreak. Uh, but rather than killing off humans, it seems like it's killing off pigs. Not seems like it is. Um, what makes this disease so impactful on the global markets right now? Yeah, I mean, it really is something almost like out of a movie. You couldn't even write a script that would be as significant as what's going on right now. A couple of key points to think about when thinking about the disease is, uh, first, the significance of pork. Um, and let me ask you, Douglas, what would you say do you think uh, Americans would say is the most most commonly consumed protein? Um, I would probably say chicken. Yeah, and most Americans. But I'm guessing that I'm going to be wrong. Well, you're you're you answered you answered right though. Americans do consume more chicken than anything else okay. um, by by a, quite a stretch. But globally, pork is the most consumed protein, um, which is which is the first kind of point to, to think about when thinking about this disease. It's somewhere around 40% of all global protein is pork consumption, driven largely by a lot of the Asian markets, China, Vietnam, um, Southeast Asia, different places like that, eat a lot of pork. So that's the first thing to note. The second um, point to think about is that China itself accounts for half of all pork production and consumption in the world. So approximately, um, so pork is 40% of the total global um, production, China's half. So China alone is around 20% of the global protein industry just via its pork production. And even more, and it's even more concentrated than it seems because China, if you've ever looked at a map of China, the mm -hmm. eastern part is green and lots of people live, and the western part is more desert and, and mountains and everything. So it's all very concentrated. Their pork production is very concentrated in a certain region, kind of the east co eastern side of the country. So you have pork, which is the biggest, most significant protein in the world, and China produces half of it. So mm -hmm. the kind of key points to think about when thinking about this disease. So this disease, to, and to kind of talk about the disease briefly before getting to the impact on China and the globe, the disease, as you mentioned, is called African swine fever. It's um, very deadly to pigs, almost 100% mortality rate. Wow. It spreads very quickly, and um, it primarily spreads in areas without a lot of biosecurity, without a lot of uh, generally small backyard farms, and there's no vaccine. So you have an extremely deadly pig virus that can spread very quickly. And until now, it had kind of, it's been around for 100 years or so, different different places but it never had had a huge impact on the global protein market until august 2018 when you had the first reported case of african swine fever some people call it asf for short mm -hmm. in in china and since then and that's about a year ago approximately it has spread like wildfire to the chinese um, pork industry there's estimates of in the beginning, I mean, it just kind of was an initial headline, and then the estimates of losses have just keep right keep rising. 
Uh, the Chinese government in July said the pork, their hog herd is down 32% year on year. Oof. And, um, but a lot of people even think that's significantly underreported. The number of 50% is kind of the most common number I hear from industry sources now, which is just a staggering number of millions and millions of tons of pork. Um, so approximately, if China is 20% of the global protein market, and they, uh, the Chinese pork is 20% of the global protein market, then losing half of it is about 10% of the entire global protein market that's disappeared in the last year, which is just a, it's unprecedented. It's never happened before in the history of, of animal disease. And there's a lot of animal diseases that happen from time to time. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's in the protein world, it's a, it's a huge deal. It doesn't get a lot of press, but uh, we're following it pretty closely. So unlike uh, mad cow disease, which that made the press, but it wasn't nearly as impactful. Right. I think it was more just fear. Yeah. This is actually wiping out entire herds. And, and part of it, it sounds like part of the problem is you've got, we'll say the eastern half of China, you've got very concentrated yeah. population. Once it hits, yeah. it, as you said, spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that just seems like a, a bad mix. So transitioning a little bit, talking about your perspectives piece, uh, which is why we're getting together and having this conversation. We always look at a long-term view of ownership when we're evaluating companies, uh, but exogenous events like this um, can impact the impact those dynamics. So, how has in the past, how have I should say, animal diseases impacted the protein industry, and what do you think the impact is going to be, you know, right now? Yeah, it's it's there. There's something that you always kind of got to live with in the industry, just dealing with live animals. It, it happens. Um, Essentially, what they do is they can sometimes create a cycle on, on their own. So the, these industries are all generally commodity cyclical industries where you, classic cyclical dynamics, you have chicken prices are high. So the chicken producers produce more chicken. Right. They sometimes will overshoot, produce too much, prices come down, yep. supply comes down, and it just kind of balances out over time. What happens with animal diseases, um, the the big ones, I mean, there's always an animal disease going on somewhere, but the material ones can sometimes cause a dramatic reduction in supply independent of what just kind of this typical cyclical dynamics. So they often can create a boom and a bust type of situation. Uh, a recent example in the U.S. was um, there was a bird flu, uh, mm-hmm. avian influenza in 2015 that had a big impact on the egg markets and turkey markets, um, and you saw egg prices move up. Um, 150% Oof. in four months of supply just fell off a cliff. and then But then all the egg producers, they ramped up their production, and then prices dropped 80% in the next few months. So it can have very significant um, short-term impacts on, on pricing and demand. From a longer-term view, though, the things we look for um, to in a companies that we invest in or think about with these cyclical dynamics is we're very focused on companies that have good balance sheets. If you have... Um, you need to be able to have a good balance sheet to be able to withstand some of these diseases mm-hmm. or just the cyclical swings and not just survive, but to be opportunistic and thrive. And sometimes in these kind of industries, if you have a good balance sheet, it's almost, it's like the, be- the best defense is a good offense sometimes. Yeah. It's kind of um, a good balance sheet, net cash position or, or something like that could can let you be very offensive and aggressive in times of industry weakness. Uh, a broader industry... Um, trend that can occur is consolidation. So sometimes in these kind of situations, the smaller producers, while you feel for them, 
go out of business and they just can't, you know, they either take out on debt, they expand at the wrong time, or like these Chinese hog producers have taken out loans for their pigs and then all of a sudden you can't sell them or, you know, whatever it may be, that can be um, lead to a consolidation among the major players. So the U.S. meat packing industry is very concentrated in a few players. Um, so the disease wouldn't have that impact necessarily here as much unless there's a poor balance sheet somewhere. But in places like Asia, China, Vietnam, these places, it, it's likely that consolidation will have a pretty dramatic impact on the industry there. And one thing to note, and we should probably address, um, it's in Asia, Southeast Asia. It is not here in the United States. Right, yeah. And because it is so fast acting, it'd be really difficult for it to get here. Is that a right? Is that a proper assessment that it takes so long to get here, whether you're shipping them, that you would know that they were sick by the time before you got here? And you could turn the ship around. Yeah, if you were shipping, if you were shipping live hogs, that would be the case. Um, the challenge is when it's shipping um, the meat that's already been packed into packages or, or something like that. So if you have a tourist from China coming to visit family in America and you're bringing some pork in your in your carry-on luggage, it can live um, in frozen meat. I think for years, uh, and for I think I don't, I don't know the exact number, maybe 100 days or 150 days or something, in just cooked meat that uh, people are bringing over. So the risk is primarily, well, I wouldn't say primarily, but a risk is that tourists bring it over in their bags and the U.S. Customs have really stepped up searching for that in um, in airports and things like that. You also have a risk with um, travelers if you're, you know, it can, it can get transmitted in all kinds of different ways, whether it be soil or all kinds of different things. If a farmer is going over and visiting pig farms in China and comes over, that's a risk, but the U.S. so far, as you said, is free, which is great, a boon for U.S. producers. Um, but it definitely, um, the industry is being very vigilant about being cautious. It, as long as it can stay out, that's yep. good for the U.S. So people are being very cautious about it, and it, it does remain a risk. And I know that that it won't matter because if I hear that it's that it's in China, I'm not going to go to China and eat pork, <laughs> even though. It may live, the, the disease lives on after the, the pig has been slaughtered and it's being served. It doesn't translate to humans, right, correct? Right, yeah. Okay. Humans can't get it. And the Philippines just um, just announced this week that they had a, and they had a big press conference with all the, the heads of the Philippine Agricultural um, Department all eating pork oh, no. uh, on, on TV <laughs> so that they can make people not afraid of that. So, yeah, it doesn't wow. impact humans. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know at least. Um so let me ask, we'll, we'll go back to China. How bad do you think this can get in China and what are the far-reaching impacts for their economy? I mean, right now we're in the middle of this, this trade war. Um, taking, putting that aside, unless it does impact, you know, how bad can this get for China and some of the producers there? It's, I mean, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's pretty bad right now. I think um, hog prices, the disease has been ongoing for about a year. And hog prices kind of remain relatively benign in the first part of it, which is what you would you would expect right. prices to spike right. higher dramatically. The theory is that a lot of the producers saw maybe one or two of their hogs getting sick and then thought, okay, we got to go sell these other ones fast ah. to get our money back and not um, just have all of our capital that we invested in pigs go down the drain. So there was a huge number of slaughters of, of pig processing that took place last fall, early this spring, and kind of accelerated the production essentially so prices have been relatively flat and you wouldn't even really know it unless you were looking at some of the hog numbers from prices or the impact on the Chinese economy or anything like that 
but just recently, probably June, July type time period, prices have, have really moved. Chinese hog prices were up approximately 55% in about the last month and a half. Wow. And up 100% year to date. And they are, pork prices are, are moving and they're starting to impact inflation for, for Chinese consumers. It's a, it's a staple of the diet. It's a major part of the inflation basket that they, that they use. So um, it doesn't look like they're slowing down. I mean, China recently announced that they're going to be maybe releasing some state reserves of pork. But, I mean, it just you have so many, the quantities are just staggeringly huge that that's a kind of it's a temporary, temporary uh, Band-Aid maybe yep. to the issue. So they're doing, China's trying to do a few things. I mean, they're trying to, I saw a head, um, news article today, they're trying to persuade people that pork maybe isn't as healthy <laughs> as chicken or beef, and so maybe trying to lower the demand for it on the on health concerns. They're trying to grow their chicken and beef um, facilities. They're trying to grow imports. They're trying to increase their support for the large hog operations that generally are more had better biosecurity, able to defend against it a little bit. So they're they're trying to protect against it, but I mean it's a it's going to be a challenge for for the Chinese government just to handle. I mean, there's just not enough imports. There aren't enough imports. The, the total pork export market isn't big enough. If all of the pork exports in the world mm-hmm. were to go to China, that's still not enough to replace wow. what they lost. So. There's just, I mean, there's pork shortages that are going to happen. Um, the trade war, I mean, I'm some of that stuff's above, you know, in my too hard pile. But it is, I mean, we have an excellent source of pork and Chinese Chinese pork, so I wouldn't be surprised to have it have some sort of impact on the negotiations between the different countries. Um, but it's 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 pretty bad, and um, it doesn't look until they can really ramp up imports or somehow fix this other production. It seems like it's going to be a challenge. For the, for the next few years at least. So we've got a giant ocean between us and them. Um, Eastern Europe, not so much. Mm-hmm. So is it is there concern that it continues to spread beyond China? Because if it was contained in Vietnam, I mean, it's a smaller country, you can contain it. Yeah. Um, but in China, huge borders. Mm-hmm. Is it spreading? Is it possible that it gets to Eastern Europe and then to the main continent? Yeah, it's, it's in Eastern Europe now. Okay. I mean, it's really... Um, it's been, it actually was in Eastern Europe first, technically, this outbreak. It's kind of, again, the disease has been around for a long time, um, started in Africa, which is thus the name. Right. Um, but in 2007, there was an outbreak in kind of the Eastern European um, region. And no one really knows, but that would be my guess. It eventually spread from there to China. Um, and then it's still, it's still, it's definitely still in Eastern Europe, especially it can sometimes transmit via the wild boar population that maybe it won't kill them, but they can transmit the disease. And a number of Eastern European countries are seeing increased outbreaks um, in places like um, Romania and Bulgaria, um, Poland, Slovakia, Serbia, places like that. Thus far, compared to China, Eastern Europe is not a major pork producer. Right. Um, the exception being Poland, which I think is maybe the fourth or fifth largest pork producer in the EU that has had a few cases. Um, the big the big important countries in Europe um, are Germany and Spain and then France. Germany and Spain, I think, are 30% of total exports in the world of, of pork. Uh, so far, the, those farms have been able to stay secure from it, um, and that's been allowed them to have higher European pork prices and benefit from that. But we are paying attention to what's going on in Eastern Europe 
it does seem like it's spreading further west and were to have a more material impact in some like the Germany or Spanish, German or Spanish pork markets, that would be a material, more material event um, for the world. So it is, I mean, it's, it's everywhere really. It's in South Africa, there's been some cases, Eastern Europe, um, Southeast Asia is really starting to have a negative impact on Vietnam, and which is a major sixth largest pork producing country in the world, mm. and um, so it's a it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the industry. China is the big fish with what's going on, right? But then uh, we are paying attention to Eastern Europe as well because the EU is the second largest uh, pork producer behind China. Uh, so some some frightening stuff for for pigs at least. <laughs> um, so let's look at it through through the lens of. You know, company analysis. Like, where are uh, the winners and losers? And let's let's focus on the U.S. Um, so, in your day-to-day job, you're analyzing companies. Where are the winners going to come from? And is it is it the the protein manufacturers? Is it you know all the way down in the chain to the feed producers? You know, where where do we see opportunities and where do we see some weakness? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question, and a lot of people are trying to think are trying to figure <laughs> this out. Um, the Kind of two caveats, I would say. Well, the first caveat would be, as far as thinking about the winners and losers, it's all dependent on if it comes here or not. Yep. Because if it comes here and we can't export any pork and all of our pork is stuck, we're a major pork exporter, all our pork is stuck here, prices are going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that caveat. Um, and then secondly, um, kind of a broader thing to think about is whoever – um, there's a lot of different meat companies, protein companies um, in the U.S., but the ones who are most poised to benefit are the ones who own or control the protein production. Some meat companies, um, like a Hormel that buys spam or you know different uh, that produces spam mm-hmm. or other products, they'll buy meat from other people. Um, so they're not as well positioned maybe as others. So we think. The, the some of the ones that are companies that are best positioned to perform well include Seaboard um, Corporation, which is a pork producer, and um, they control. They're very vertically integrated, so they control mm-hmm. the hogs from start to finish, essentially, and they um, have good export opportunities. Other uh, couple companies, um, Sanderson Farms and Pilgrim's Pride are chicken producers. Mm-hmm. Um, but if pork prices get high enough, people will likely substitute to chicken, so they may benefit as well. The Tyson Foods is kind of the big, the largest protein producer in the U.S., and they'll be they'll be a beneficiary. They're pro, they're a winner in the a global protein shortage. But they do uh, have some of their segments where they buy protein from other people. Mm-hmm. So if they have to buy at a high price and they can't raise prices, there could be possibly be margin pressure there. And then um, you know, depending how far out, you know, depending on how crazy the prices go, um, Calmain Foods, which is an egg producer, could see higher egg prices in China are starting to move up. You're starting to see kind of those tertiary impacts on other proteins. So it's possible that egg prices could benefit as well. Um, so I would say probably those are U.S. US winners. Um, mm-hmm. As far as losers, restaurants, in my opinion, are one of the primary um, industries to, to look at in that regard. Uh, especially more price sensitive ones, um, you know, if you you have a dollar hamburger, or, you know, you don't want to raise the price. You're going to try and keep prices um, at a certain point. That can sometimes be a challenge with your if the if protein prices drive go up 50 percent, and you're trying to keep your price at a certain point. That can be a challenge to margins. Um, but restaurants, and then uh, like I mentioned, other meat companies that maybe would buy from other anyone who has to buy raw meat versus mm-hmm. controlling the raw meat is more of a um, more, more, not quite as much of a benefit. The as you know, 
from a longer term perspective, uh, you know, like you mentioned, feed companies, um, Archer Daniels Midland is an example of uh, animal feed company. So um, the in the near term, it's likely probably a con. They own a subsidiary that has a big producer to is a major um, feed producer to uh, the pork industry in China. That is uh, likely to, with all the pigs dead, you won't need <laughs> as much feed. Uh, but in the so in the short term, it may be cause some pain. But in the longer term, as the Chinese and Asian pork industry and animal industry gets more consolidated and more more professional, as opposed to the backyard farms, the use of probably this official animal feed is likely to, to go up. So probably the industry consolidation may help them longer term. Um, but a lot of it's dependent, you know, on what happens. You have trade war, you have tariffs, you have um, a lot of different moving pieces, but probably on a high level, those would probably be the kind of winners and losers. Well, Micah, thank you very much for joining me in what is hopefully uh, the most disturbing podcast that we ever do. Um, And I mean that in a good way. All right. Thanks, Douglas. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.